Hello, this is Richard Carafel from Agility PR Solutions, and welcome to PR Profiles, a video series and podcast where we chat with experts in the PR and communications industry. We think PR is the most formidable, dynamic, and rewarding field there is, and we wanted to invite you uh, to meet some of our favorite powerhouses in the industry. Today, we're speaking with Bradley Akaburo, partner at Bully Pulpit Interactive. Hi, Bradley. Hey, Richard. How's it going? Thanks for having Good. me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Uh, so first of all, tell us just a little bit about yourself and Bully Pulpit. Yeah, so thanks. Truly appreciate you having me on. Always enjoy talking to you, Richard. Um, Likewise. I'll tell you a little bit about Bully Pulpit first to start. Bully Pulpit was founded by leaders of the Obama campaign in the White House who realized that the type of persuasion that um, really was enabled by the advent of social media and the way that we look at it today, um, and the type of persuasion that they used to bring new voters into the fold during the first Obama campaign could be used not only in other campaigns, but with corporations and with causes um, like foundations and advocacy groups as well. And so started an organization uh, to really do that and drive a new philosophy in the way that they approach communications. Um, you know, flash forward a number of years, I've come on board to lead the corporate communications practice for the agency, as well as the work that we do around uh, diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion. Uh, and I also lead our Chicago office here where I'm based. And, you know, you've known this uh, uh, over our, our, you know, time talking together, Richard, but, you know, the time that I've spent working on advocacy work with folks like Reverend Jesse Jackson uh, to the many different corporate roles I've had, it was nearly impossible for me to be able to pass up an opportunity to create such a great marriage. And so really excited to be here with the firm. That's terrific. And it sounds like very rich and I'm sure rewarding work. Uh, so wonderful. Thanks, Bradley. So this is kind of a rapid fire interview. We're just going to jump right in here and I'll ask you uh, this first question. Uh, you are an expert in corporate reputation and high visibility crisis management. Indeed, we had the pleasure of working with you uh, earlier in 2022 on the Crisis Commons Mastery Virtual Summit. Now, how did you come to focus on these two demanding and dynamic areas of public relations? Yeah, it's kind of a funny story, Richard. You know, I, I started in journalism. I went to school over at Northwestern to learn uh, journalism and, you know, believed that that was going to be the path that I was going to be on. And I ended up getting involved with a number of different causes around campus, as, you know, students tend to do. And, and one thing led to another. And I ended up actually falling into an opportunity to work with Reverend Jesse Jackson on a campaign that was all around college affordability and access. And so that led me to the world of advocacy. Um, and there were so many things that you learn that kind of intersect what you learn in, in, in journalism school, but also what later on would feed into my passion for communications. But, you know, to put a pin on that for a second, you know, I went through a series of different roles that included going out to Liberia, spending some time doing work in, in governance reform, um, and then coming back and realizing the opportunities that I was having, whether it was, you know, advocating for new policy on a national level here around education and access uh, to, you know, post-war, uh, helping to rebuild a democracy in Liberia. These were big, meaty, exciting opportunities, and my opportunities were outpacing my experience. So I said, hey, how do I come back and get an opportunity to be able to really develop a baseline and kind of a foundation for some of the stuff that I was working on, which is really exciting as a guy in my 20s. Um, came back and got into management consulting, D 
doing change uh, management around a number of different things, particularly how do you roll out the Affordable Care Act at the time. Um, the elements that I ended up loving the most about this, and it'll be not at all surprising to any of your listeners here, was the change communications aspects of it. You know, how do you persuade people not only to care, but to behave differently based on, you know, how you're able to tell a story um, and, and put very complex information into very compelling and bite-sized digestible uh, narratives. And so we were able to do that in pretty exciting ways around, you know, the rollout of the Affordable Care Act. Um, that led to me saying, how do I actually do more of this? You know, loved it so much, I just wanted to just pursue it. Um, and uh, a handful of corporate jobs came after that. I followed a mentor uh, who was working at Pratt & Whitney, a jet engine company at the time, um, to Connecticut and a series of different roles in aerospace and other Fortune 50 companies kind of followed from there. Lots of opportunities in crisis, lots of opportunities in M&A and, and other kinds of environments that were exciting and dynamic and challenging. Um, and uh, it culminated in my last uh, experience working for Boeing as the chief spokesperson uh, after a crisis. Um, which uh, folks are all too familiar with. And so uh, lots of incredible experiences, but I'd mentioned you know, earlier in this conversation, uh, coming to Bully Pulpit was an opportunity to bring all of that together. And the exciting part is, you know, corporate reputation really kind of follows the principles of general uh, reputation. It is very, very, very difficult to build over time and very, very easy to lose quickly. So um, bringing kind of the tenets of, of, you know, that basic logic with a lot of the different skills that I learned over a number of different careers has been exciting. Yeah, that is very interesting, Bradley, quite a history. And boy, it's fascinating, isn't it, where life's path will lead you, you know, even when you don't expect it. Uh, yes. Very cool. All right. Now, uh, as you mentioned, you have, uh, and, and you wrote about this in an Inc. Magazine article earlier this year about your uh, working with uh, the Reverend Jackson, uh, as you talked about, and the valuable leadership lessons that you learned as a staffer with him. Now, what were some of the key takeaways from that experience, and how have they shaped your perspective as a leader today? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and Richard, thank you for bringing up the Inc. Magazine articles. I have truly enjoyed writing. I, I do a monthly column for them. It's really on, as they call it, the age of impact, and it really focuses on this kind of era we're in and how leaders, you know, should be thinking about it. And um, I wrote in June about Reverend Jesse Jackson and my work with him, and there are a couple of things that I really referenced from that period of time, one of which is always take a chance on folks, calculated risks, but take a chance and put people in a position to succeed and see what happens. You know, Reverend Jackson took a chance on me when I was only, you know, at first, when he first met me, I was only 19, right? And what was crazy about it is, you know, after a few engagements where he'd kind of thrown me into the deep end, you know, one time on international broadcast, <laughs> so it could have been recorded for the world if I completely messed it up. Um, uh, and in another, in a, a, a political meeting uh, with a, a uh, you know, kind of high stakes policy conversation, you know, he realized, hey, this is a guy who seems like he could carry his own. He may not know everything, but let's give him a chance. Uh, and he made me the leader of the campaign uh, that I had mentioned around college affordability and access called Reduce the Rate. And what was incredible about that was 
I was in, like, I was wildly unprepared for this. <laughs> and, you know, with some coaching, with some guidance, with some empowerment, being put in a position to be able to succeed, um, I was able to learn a lot, grow a ton, and be able to make um, what I feel are some pretty significant contributions uh, to a cause which continues on to this day. Um, and so really being able to put people in a position to succeed, and succeed and empower them is huge. Uh, another thing that I learned and something that I think I probably couldn't have learned better from anyone other than Reverend Jackson uh, was have compassion for the people who work for you uh, and be a human in the moments that really matter. Um, in the Inc. article that you referenced, uh, Richard, there was a story that I told that was about a time when Reverend Jackson and I were actually meeting with the uh, president of Liberia at the time who was in Chicago, you know, re-recruiting folks who had fled uh, Rwanda during the period of genocide in the 90s and trying to convince them to come back home. Um, Reverend Jackson and I were meeting with him at this time and, you know, we had a great set of meetings, but during the period, you know, as you can tend to do sometimes, I let my phone die and I had a big date after it was, supposed, it was, after it was over. I was supposed to go to a date uh, with my then girlfriend um, and I couldn't give her a call and let her know we'd run over by hours. I couldn't let her know uh, that, uh, you know, I was going to miss her because we were in the middle of this meeting. So after it was over, all I could do was try to give her a call and let her know I was sorry. Of course, because my phone was dead, that wasn't going to be the easiest thing to do. So I'm kind of over here like, woe is me. Um, Reverend Jackson says, hey, you want to use my phone? Which, first of all, incredibly nice gesture. I take his phone, try to make a call straight to voicemail, try it again, straight to voicemail. I give my mother a call instead. At this point, I just want to let her know that I'm fine because it's been on the news that there were protests outside of our meeting. And my mom answers the phone. And before I get a chance to say anything to her, he runs over, grabs the phone out of my hand and just says, you know, forgive Bradley. He's made his share of mistakes, but this one is my fault. Right. And man, that moment was incredible. And I didn't know he was talking to my mom. <laughs> he thought he was getting me out of the doghouse. I never got out of that doghouse. Um, but uh, it was just this incredible moment of compassion that I'll never forget. And it reminds me every day, the people who work for you are people. And they have needs of psychological safety. They want to be supported and they want to know that you don't just want their output. You want them for who they are and what they bring to the table. Uh, and if you, if you lose sight of that, then you are going to lose those employees. But if you hold on to that, you're going to be able to motivate people more than you ever imagined. And so I, I take that away from uh, those days as really core fundamental lessons. That's cool. And boy, what a great story. It's funny how uh, you find out the, the, the true uh, uh, the, the true nature of a person, you know, uh, when you least expect it. Uh, terrific. All right. Thank you, Bradley. OK, now you talked about the Inc. magazine articles. You talk, Let's talk about another one that you wrote back in May uh, where you wrote about uh, how there are four or rather six uh, core truths that leaders need to embrace to win the talent war, one of which is Safe stances are rarely winning stances. Now, could you share how Bully Pulpit is approaching these six truths for their clients and as an agency? Yeah, you know, I'll start off by saying one of the most important attributes here at BPI is that we don't just think about our employer brand in a broad you know, sense, in this ethereal sense. You know, when it comes to our brand, as an employer and as a brand, 
we think about it in terms of what we do. We make change possible. You're not just out here to communicate. And so when we kind of understand who we are and how we present ourselves dictates who actually comes and finds themselves interested in BPI and chooses to stay here, then the next step for us is to make decisions around policy and on stances that reflect who we are, our ethos, right? And that's not just how we attract talent and retain talent, that's our business strategy. So what's really, really compelling about that is that the folks who come to us come to us because of who we are. And then the decisions that we make are made based on who we are. And then when you go from there, the next step is that very simply, and I'm not saying easy, <laughs> it's never easy, but very simply, you stay true to it. And what that means for folks, you know, uh, who, are, who are kind of following along just very tactically and, and, and tangibly is when the decision was leaked around Roe v. Wade, for example, we didn't wait for a final decision to come out to say that we were going to make sure that access to all medical services, uh, including abortion services, would be available to our employees across the board, regardless of where they live, right? We knew that this decision is going to mean a tremendous, tremendous sea change for our employees, and we didn't want them to wait to have to figure out what that was going to mean for them. Let's give them the peace of mind right out of the gate. Um, when you had the uh, massacres, unfortunate massacres in Buffalo and Uvalde, we didn't say, well, let's see what the government does. We joined a, a group of uh, what's now over 500 CEOs to sign a letter to Congress and say, enough is enough. We absolutely need to take action now on gun reform. And not only that, but we've done work for clients that are on these issues and we partner closely with them, um, both contractually, so the type of work that folks get to do, but also pro bono and making sure that we're adding in our voice on the things that matter. And the employees that we've got and the folks who are considering working at BPI know exactly what they're going to get. And frankly, if that's not the type of thing you're interested, you're probably not considering BPI. We probably ask you not to consider BPI. So, you know, when it comes down to your question of, you know, how are we really living by some of those principles? You know, it's by being very, very, very clear on who we are and then living our strategy in alignment with that. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's terrific and terrific tips. Uh, you got to stand by your values uh, as a company, uh, most certainly, and a uh, way to incorporate, you know, every, everything you've talked about uh, and those six truths into your, uh, into your strategy. That's terrific, Bradley. Okay, now as an integrated marketing communications adjunct lecturer at your alma mater, Northwestern. Uh, what do you think are the most essential skills that uh, future communications pros are going to need to be successful? I'll skip the obvious because I know a lot of people will come in and, and, you know, talk about a number of these things. But I think one that I want to spend a little bit of time talking about is this understanding of public affairs, right? There's going to be a continued convergence of um, communicators, public affairs folks, and those who focus on what you'd consider to be, you know, foundations um, and, and, and corporate giving as you think about the in, increased emergence of ESG and the work that we do. Uh, and folks who are really, really in tune with these things are the ones who are gonna be the most successful in the next generation. Uh, what I found in all of my conversations with CEOs and, and corporate leaders these days is that they're increasingly looking for a single leader 
on their leadership teams, who's going to be able to actually be credible talking about how the company and the CEO in particular should navigate all matters that they relate to uh, society. How do you do it? Um, if you think about times long past now, uh, companies were beholden to shareholders and almost no one else. It became a nice to have to be able to do a lot of the corporate social responsibility work and the giving to communities in which you operated. That was great. You got to do it. So people did it and they created infrastructures to make it happen. But now we've moved into this wave where there is a complete convergence. CEOs are increasingly expected to speak up on, on matters of society, right? Not only because their employees expect them to speak up on them and they wanna know how are they going to be treated and supported um, by their employer, but investors are starting to think about this, right? Even if you are only focused on shareholders, increasingly shareholders are trying to figure out where are you on the value spectrum? What are you doing to reduce carbon footprint so that we actually might have a, a planet that lasts uh, well into the future? What are you doing around humanitarian issues and what does your supply chain look like? The list goes on, but these are no longer questions that you can avoid. So if you're the communicator who's here, who's focused on the best way to put out the fanciest press release or the new product launch, great. That's not a bad thing, but you also have to be focused now on the bigger picture, where the company fits into it, and how you can engage for the maximum impact, not only from a commercial standpoint, but from a societal standpoint too. And I think the communicators who are going to be most successful in the future are the ones who figure out how to be the chief impact officer, not just the chief communications officer. Right, right. Very, very good, uh, Tim, and a great insight there. Um, th this whole notion of values investing is certainly something that's taking, uh, you know, the corporate world by storm, you know, and, and as you mentioned, employees interested in this, not to mention your general consumers, you know, who often refuse to even do business, you know, with a brand that either won't speak out or, you know, in, in, other, in other instances, you know, have different values than their own. Uh, so, so it's important these days and it's a, you know, it's a mandate, you know, practically, you know, on the parts of society. So, uh, so that's great. And that is a ter terrific skill that uh, the future comms pros are gonna need. Thanks, Bradley. Now, now, what do you think is the best thing about being in PR? I think the best part about it, and this is at least the most fun to me, is the ability to see the full picture, right? You know, when you come into a company and you have a narrowly focused role, whether it's in engineering or, or, or you know, you name your, your, your function, it can be very easy to get caught with blinders on. You're focused on the thing that's right in front of you. It's part of a much, much, much bigger ecosystem. And when you're a communicator, not only are you able to see the bigger ecosystem, it's your job to see the bigger ecosystem. And I've always found it incredibly exciting to be able to not only engage at that level, but to counsel at that level and to be trusted to be able to see around corners. And I think when we do our jobs well, we have the opportunity to be on the mountaintop every day um, of our jobs. That's great. Uh, that that is a fun thing, and that is a great a great thing and a meaningful thing about PR. All right, thank you, Bradley. Now, now, what do you think is the biggest mistake that a PR pro can make? Hands down, compromising your credibility. I think it is very very easy, and it is a very very slippery slope, especially if you were in you know uh, maybe your relations or a profession where you were the spokesperson. 
um, for issues that you don't necessarily create, right? You don't necessarily build a jet engine if you're a spokesperson for a jet engine company, right? But you have to have a grasp of the facts, the truth. You have to be able to understand when something feels like it's right to you, when it doesn't quite feel like it's right to you. And regardless of what the best sounding story is, your job is to present the truth. You can put the truth in context, but you cannot change the truth. And I think the very first time that someone feels like, hey, it'll be more convenient for us to say this, understanding that it isn't quite an accurate picture of reality, you have lost all hope of being able to recover from that point because it is such a slippery slope. Um, and the first time that you go out and you uh, lose your credibility, you'll realize very quickly that it doesn't come back. You get one shot and your credibility in this profession is all you've got. So I'd say that's the biggest mistake someone can make. It's easy one to do, but it's one that you absolutely have to hold the line on. Yeah, and I could not agree more. Credibility is everything uh, in the PR game, especially these days, you know, because of the reasons we talked about already, you know, the brand accountability, you know, the taking stands and everything uh, like that. Uh, people want to know where you stand and where, you know, personally and professionally. So it's a, so uh, that's a fabulous insight. Appreciate that. All right, let's go right to this one then. What, what's something you're really excited about right now, either personally or professionally? Yeah, so two things, actually. Two things I'm very excited. I'm a very excited guy, Richard, right now. So <laughs> good. good. I, I am, am very proud and, and, and honored to uh, have been selected uh, as part of PR Week's 40 Under 40. Um, and so that uh, uh, honor comes out or came out in August. And so very excited about that. Um, and it's a great, great group to be uh, honored with. And so, you know, still celebrating that one. Uh, and on the horizon, the thing I'm most excited about is I'm getting married. Uh, I'll be getting married next April. Uh, my beautiful fiance and I have been together for a little over six years. And so uh, we've got a wedding planned out and that's coming up. And, you know, we have gotten most of the uh, coordinating down, but the chaos uh, of the couple months ahead of time is still coming. And I look forward to every part of it. That is terrific, Bradley. Uh, you have a lot to be thankful for then. Uh, and congratulations on your selection by PR Week for their 40 under 40. That's a great honor. And obviously, congratulations on the upcoming nuptials. Uh, terrific news, Bradley. Uh, life's looking good. Uh, that's, that's great to hear. <laughs> okay, now, Bradley, finally, how can people uh, connect with you over there at BPI? Yeah, a couple of ways to connect with me. First of all, do connect with me. Please do connect with me. Uh, LinkedIn is, is a place where I'm very active. Feel free to reach out to me, follow or connect with me on LinkedIn uh, or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Um I am always looking to chat with new folks and especially um, connect with folks who are thinking about the future of our profession, which I think is very bright, Richard. That is great. And I, I would like to agree with you and I hope that's certainly the case. All right, thank you, Bradley. Okay, and that's all the time we have, everybody. Uh, and again, we've been chatting with Bradley Acubero. He's the partner, a partner at Bully Pulpit Interactive. And thank you for joining us today, Bradley. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait to talk again, Richard. Absolutely, look forward to that. All right, we hope you enjoyed this episode of PR Profiles brought to you by Agility PR Solutions. Did you know we now offer social listening? Uh, with a tool like Agility Social Listening in your utility belt, Finding actionable insights on social media will no longer be such a daunting task. 
To learn more, you can visit agilitypr.com today. And thanks for joining us again, everyone. I'm Richard Carafel at Agility PR Solutions. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.